0: Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to encourage you guys, come out Wednesday nights. Pastor David is teaching uh, the Beatitudes in the book of Matthew on Wednesday nights, and it is awesome. So if you want to get a midweek filling Pastor David's doing an amazing job, Wednesdays at 6.30, so come on out. We do have child care, we do have child care, we do have for big kids, small kids, little kids, so bring your kids, they can get something to eat while you're getting spiritually fed, amen? 1 Timothy chapter 2, did anybody read ahead? Raise your hand if you read ahead. Oh, no wonder it's so crowded, because you didn't read ahead. I I was really wondering if anybody was going to show up today because I know it's Super Bowl. And um, so, is there any Super Bowl fans here? Anybody? Just come. Yeah. Okay. Who's who's for the who's for the Chiefs? Who's for Philly? Who didn't care? That's my church right there. All right. I don't watch football, but I'm going to just pick Philly because I like Philly cheesesteaks. All right, so we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to finish the chapter today. Um, It's a little difficult passage. Um, Yeah. We'll just read it and pray. Verse 8. I desire, therefore, the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, With propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and do not permit a woman to teach or usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. How are we doing so far? Remember, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness with self-control. Father, we, um, we lift this portion of Scripture up to you, Lord God, that... That you would get a hold of our hearts, Lord God, that we would uh, take it to heart, Lord God, that we would not be offended in any way, that we would understand that you have an order for the church. You have an order for the family. You do all things well, Lord. And you've called us individually for certain tasks that are equally as important. And so we ask right now that you would just minister to the hearts of the men and the women. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit's saying. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I titled the message, Men and Women in Church. In this portion of Scripture, is Paul writing to Timothy, which is actually to Ephesus, to lay out um, the order by which church should be run. What, What are men supposed to do? What are women supposed to do? And that's really important to understand, because there is an order. God is a God of order. Um, we shouldn't um, be offended if God says that we need to do something that maybe we don't think we should do. Maybe we want to do what someone else is doing. Um, Men have different roles in the church. Women have different roles in the church. God doesn't want that reversed. Does that make sense? Now, I know we live in a culture where, you know, women can do anything, and they can. I mean, women are very smart and in many ways smarter than men. Uh, Some women are more successful in business than men. Uh, Most women know their Bible better than their husband. I get that. But there's an order in the church and there's an order in the family and if we do the correct order that God's given us, we're going to prosper. But if we try to do it a different way, And because you know how we do that, right? We're like, well, you know, the Lord doesn't understand my position. You know, He doesn't know my family and my family. I need to take over this spot. No, you don't. You need to take the spot that God's given you in the family, you need to take the spot God's given you in the church, and a healthy church that obeys the word of God will prosper. So we're looking at order. So we know that in the family, God first. The father, the husband, second. The wife, third. The kids. So in a marriage, it has to be in a man's life, the man is the head of the family. This is God's order. Doesn't mean he's smarter. Doesn't mean he knows the Bible better. But it's a order that God puts out and He expects us to follow it. So for the husband... It's God's got to be first in his life, then his wife, then the kids. For the wife, God's got to be first in her life, then her husband, and then the kids. If you get that out of order, which is one of the problems I see a lot in Christian marriages, is because maybe the wife usurped the authority of the husband, And will come to me and say, listen, you know, he's an idiot. And I go, well, I know, but. God says. He's the head of the family. Well, I know way more Bible than him. I know you do. But if you allow him to go to the Lord to seek the Lord on these things for your life and trust that God's going to speak to him and come back with the answer, you'll be fine. You can't change the order. I, I've seen a lot of married families where um, the spouse, whether it's the husband or the wife, makes the husband or the wife more important than God. You're out of order. So it becomes spouse, God, children. Doesn't work. One of the most frequent things I see in families is a mom or a dad or both putting children ahead of God ahead of their spouse to where now it's children God spouse or children spouse God and they wonder why they have so many problems in their house you can't put your children before your spouse and you cannot put your children before God how we doing okay great it's the same thing in the church God's got things for the pastors, for the elders, for the deacons, for the men, for the women. There's a certain order you got to follow. And God will never ask us to do something that He didn't do by example. He led by example. In the Gospels, Jesus said, check this out, you have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's an order there. And Jesus said, I never do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. I never say anything unless the Father tells me to say it. Now, was Jesus God? Yes. And he didn't find it, he didn't consider it robbery to be considered equal with God. He was fully God, but by example, he submitted to the authority of the Father. Remember when he was praying in the garden and sweating great drops of blood? and he was about to experience something that he never ever experienced ever before and that's going to the cross and dying for mankind he was sweating great drops of blood and he said you know father if this cup could pass in other words if there's any other way by which man could be saved let's do it but then he followed it with this not my will but Thy will be done submission there's an order so as we look at these scriptures today, um, you might get a little offended. But you need to understand that it's not that men are better. It's that God just made an order in the family and in the church, in the kingdom. Women are so valuable and precious and needed. And God has given you a position in the church which is so greatly needed that only you're the best at it. So if it's not like, you know, well, why can't I do what he's doing? Because God wants you to do this. And we want to be obedient to what God is asking us to do. You remember when Jesus rose from the dead and, and then he came to the shoreline, and the boys had gone fishing, and they fished all night. They caught nothing. They saw it was the Lord. He was on the shore. He was already cooking fish. He had every, breakfast going, and Peter jumps out of the boat and runs to him. He says, "The Lord, you know." And 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 remember what Jesus had to say to Peter: "Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep." Remember, he had to ask him three times. Peter was kind of a three times guy. Peter, you love me? Peter, you love me? Peter, you love me? He said, feed my sheep. And then he walked over and he put his arm around John. He started walking off of John and talking to John. Remember what Peter said? He said, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, wait. What are you doing with him? And the Lord said, that's none of your business. Do what I told you. I think that's the best way to explain what we're going to be looking at today is that whatever God does with you is not my business. It's between you and Him. And whatever He tells me to do is between me and Him. And so you may think what God is asking you to do is maybe greater than something else He's asked somebody else to do, or maybe you might think it's lesser than something. Let me tell you something. It's just as important. Because if we won't be faithful in the little things, how's He going to give us more? Right? And so when when I... like. Sometimes people think, you know, wow, pastor, you're going to get a lot of rewards. I don't think so, because I'm up here, I'm seen, and because I'm in the limelight, in a sense, that's my reward. I mean, I, you know, God's looking for the humble servant that does things that people don't see, doesn't try to bring attention to themselves, they're going to have great rewards. I think there's going to be a lot of moms in here, they're going to have way more rewards for me because they were faithful in raising their children. And they weren't in the limelight. And I think that's amazing. And I I think sometimes when God gives us something to do, we're like, oh, is that it? How come they get to do that? What are you doing with John? And God says, no, this is really important to me, and it's just as important as what you see Pastor Steve do. So whatever God's asking you to do, just do it. Just do it. Now, he says here in verse 80, he addresses the men, He says, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So uh, we're, we're supposed to be praying, men. Um, we're supposed to be praying, lifting hands. Why does he say men lift your hands? Because we don't. <laughs> Why do he tell the women that? Because they don't need to be told that. Women are a lot more sensitive and spiritual, I think, than men. And, and they want to know more about the Lord. They're, they're more like wanting to seek God than men a lot of times. And, and it's no problem for a woman just to raise her hands. It's, it's a problem for men. We're like, that's stupid. These guys, look at that guy's crying with his hands up. <laughs> right? So God has to tell men, come on, you guys, lift your hands. Hello? Isn't it funny that when it comes to marriage, that, that God says, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? but he doesn't tell the wife to love her husband? Why doesn't he tell her to love her husband or to lift her hands? Because she already knows how. Women already know how to love. And women wanna feel you express your love for them in a thousand different ways. You know, guys are kinda stupid, thick-headed, stubborn. Honey, do you love me? I told you when I married you. (laughs) Right? But that doesn't fly. She needs to see it every day. And it's not just a word. It's expression. Doesn't God show you every day how much he loves you? He does, doesn't he? So he tells men to pray, to lift hands. And don't pray with anger. Don't pray with wrath. You ever heard an angry prayer? And and don't pray doubting. You know, a lot of times we pray doubting. You know, is anything impossible for God? But sometimes when we pray for our situation, we're thinking he's not going to do anything. He's really not going to move. He's not going to take care of this problem. Or you're praying for someone to be healed. You're like, oh, Lord, just heal him. But inside you're like, I don't think he's going to do it. Right? No, that, I'm, just be real. Right? God wants us to pray without anger and pray without doubting. And then, verse nine, he says, "In like manner, also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety, moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly thing or costly clothing." but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. I think we can move right on. <laughs> oh, I was telling Pastor David early, by the time we get done with this message, I have the car running outside, I'm going to make a run for it out these doors. <laughs> what is he saying? Is he saying women can't wear nice clothes to church? No. Is he saying we have to dress all frumpy like the Amish or something? No. He's saying be modest. Be modest. The idea here is, in other words, don't draw attention to yourself and take the attention away from God. We came here to worship God. And the word modest there is the word "cosmeos." It's the word that we get uh, the root word is cosmos which we get the word cosmetic. And the root word of cosmetic is cosmos which means bringing order to chaos. I just thought I'd show that share that with you. <laughs> so um big question can women wear makeup? Well, I'm going to quote uh, one of my favorite old preachers, pa- uh, Pastor J. Vernon McGee, when he was asked if women could wear makeup, his response was, if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> so we're dealing with a spiritual slash cultural problem here. Because in Ephesus, like in Corinth, Um, outfits were a big thing so in Ephesus especially they were all into turning heads and so the wealthier your outfit was everybody looked at you and women would do up their hair big hairdos and braid in gold and silver and precious jewels and wear these super expensive gowns. So when they walked through town, everybody was like, look at her, look at her, look at her. In fact, one of the emperor's wives had an outfit that was worth over $200,000 in our time. And they were known for painting their face with makeup, pencil lining, the eyes and stuff like that. Um, But there was also... Uh, prostitutes that would do similar things. They would, they would cut their hair shorter, put it in like a beehive, put uh, all kinds of jewels in there and wear fancy clothing to um, attract higher clients. In Corinth, Paul warned the church in Corinth that he said, Long hair for a man is a shame and short hair for a woman and to shave her head is a shame. Now, does that reflect us at all? I mean, does that deal with us at all? No, he he goes on to say that this was the this is this is something that's happening in their culture. And it's not something they bring across to all the church. There's nothing wrong with a woman having short hair or a man having long hair. There's nothing wrong with that. He was dealing with a cultural thing. And what he was saying in Corinth was when. The church would gather in Corinth. Some of the women had short hair with jewels in it. Some had their heads shaven. And out in the the streets, when they walked out there, when a woman had short hair or a shaven head, it said, I'm a prostitute and I'm open for business. And so if a man in Corinth had long hair... It said, I'm a male prostitute, and I'm open for business. So what Paul was saying, and what he's saying here, is, is that if you're not a prostitute, don't look like one. I mean, why is it the church is always trying to fit into the culture? We're, we're trying to fit them into the Word of God. And so we, we, we need to take these things into consideration. So he's not saying you can't wear nice things. But he's saying what you should do is be in moderation. Now, that could go either way. I mean, he's saying if you come to church and you got the, the, the most expensive outfit on and a big hairdo with a big hat, you're kind of like drawing attention to yourself. You know what I'm saying? We don't have that problem here. Okay? But then on the other hand, you could have the problem of, of men and women not being discreet. I mean, you, you, you know, we, we're here in Hawaii. And some of you are visiting and we go down to the beach and the men, you know, they take their shirts off. They got their swim trunks on and the girls got their bikinis on. Well, you wouldn't come to church like that, right? Right? (laughs) This is what you give me. Because think about it. If the guys came with no shirts on and the women wore their bikinis The girls would be like worshiping and looking over going, wow, look at that six pack. Wow, look at those abs over there. And they couldn't focus. And the guys would be like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Right. We're taking the attention off of God now and we're putting it on us. I remember years ago we had a lady who used to sit like right over here. And then when worship started, she would start dancing and twirling all across The front here and she'd go back and forth and and I'd be up here and I just see everybody going like this and I had to have a talk with her and I said you can't do that she goes you're quenching the spirit I go no I'm not quenching the spirit I'm quenching you And she says well I just have to dance and I go you can't because you're taking the attention off of God and you're putting it on you she goes well I, I think you're quenching the spirit And I said okay I'll tell you what you can go to the back behind all the seats and dance and she goes no I need to be in the front Well, you know what I did. And she doesn't go here anymore. But anyway, we want to keep the attention on God. Amen? Okay, so God has certain things that he wants for us. And I, I want to say this, girls, girls, parents, moms, don't let your daughters just wear anything. Nothing's worse than when I see a 12, 13-year-old dressed like a 25-year-old and then they're wondering why 30-year-olds are hitting on them. Don't throw your little girls to the wolves. There's a lot of wolves out there. And they just prey on that kind of stuff. And so, you know, ladies, you want to attract a man that loves you for who you are, not what you are. And a woman that puts so much emphasis on her physical look instead of her spiritual look will attract like kind. A woman that's so consumed with her beauty and her body will attract guys that are all into just beauty and body and not interested in your heart. I don't know how to put this. I mean... You want someone to love you for who you are, not what you are. Because you want that person that you're going to marry to be your best friend. And if you just jump into a relationship, a physical relationship. Sooner or later, the 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 sexual attraction cools down a bit. And then you'll find yourself with somebody you don't even know who they are and you don't even get along. That's why God says, wait till you're married to have sex. Um, I think women really want a man to love them for who they are. I really do. And I've seen a lot of women over the years battle trying to keep themselves looking young. And men aren't any different. We're just as vain. Right? Right? I mean, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? You, you see how you look, right? You look at the mirror and try to assess the mess, right? I mean, maybe not you young kids. You look awesome when you just wake up, but we don't. I've known a lot of, over, you know, all my years, I've met a lot of different women. I've met women that are gorgeous, beautiful, Nice-looking, sort of plain, maybe lesser than plain. I'm just being honest, right? And I, one thing I've noticed is that you could take the most drop-dead gorgeous woman, but if her heart is black physically, she is ugly to the bone. And I've known a few women like that, that so much darkness and filth comes out of their mouth. That they go from a 10 to a one. And then I've known some women that are just maybe simple looking, not just sort of plain. But once I get to know them and I see their heart for God and I hear the things that are pouring out, they, they just rise to a ten. They just they look beautiful. Because why? Because Jesus is pouring out of them. Man, a woman that likes God, that's a hot babe. And I want to give you ladies a beauty tip because I know you're all working out, and you're you're doing whatever you're doing, and you're eating whatever you eat, and you know you're trying to get in shape. I know you're doing that. Here's a beauty tip, and it's absolutely free. Know your Bible, spend more time with Jesus, Amen. Because a natural beauty will come out of you, it'll just raise you a couple points right off the bat. Physical beauty. I'm serious. I'm going to move on. <laughs> Verse 11. Oh, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority, to usurp authority over a man, but to be in silence. What's that all about? Um couple things back in those days they used to have like the women sitting on one side and the men sitting on the other side during church and a lot of times you know the the pastor would say something a woman would stand up and yell out to her husband hey Jack what do you mean by that shut up I'll tell you when we get home and that was going back and forth He finally says just stop wives ask your husband at home but it just doesn't mean just that. It means what it's saying is it's talking about a special order in the church. And don't be offended, but here's what it's saying Women aren't to usurp authority over the men. In other words, God doesn't allow women pastors. Now, I know somebody's going to be offended because we all know women pastors, but it is not biblical. I know some sweet women pastors. When I go on the mission field, it seems like everywhere in the Philippines, there's women pastors. Everywhere in India, there's women pastors. Everywhere over third world countries, it seems to be women pastors. And maybe it's because the men won't step up to the plate and God will use a woman. And we even saw that in the Bible with Deborah. Women have been used by God in amazing ways. Amazing ways. I mean, think of some of the women of the Bible. Esther, Deborah, um, Ruth. Think of um, Lydia and Phoebe, Phoebe carried uh, letters to the churches. You think about um, Mary. you think here you know it was a woman that first grabbed onto the idea of what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples what was headed for him, and it was a woman that figured it out before the disciples it was women that were at the cross there was only one man that was John the rest of the disciples had dug out because of fear all the women were there it was a woman that was at the tomb when he rose from the dead and it was a woman that brought that was commissioned to bring the good news to the disciples that Jesus had rose so God uses women but they're not supposed to be pastors it's not that women couldn't do a good job they can It's not that they don't know the Bible like men. Some of the women know the Bible better than some pastors. And they could do a better job, but it's understanding God's order and not usurping the order for our own benefit. Because if we do that, you're going to have a church that's going to have a lot of problems. Women are super valuable and needed in the church. And you need to understand that their calling is equally as important. Now, we find out from Titus that the older women teach the younger women, they teach the kids. We see in the book of Acts that, you know, a man and a woman instructing another man in private. So, can a woman share with the congregation? Can a woman. Uh, teach a group in the church of men and women. as long as she's under the covering of the senior pastor, she knows that she's under the covering of the senior pastor. She submitted herself to the church and, and then um, uh, a pastor can use her to share things. we had We had a woman speak here. Uh, years ago, on a Sunday night, a missionary, her name was Sama. She, uh, uh, she was a Muslim who got saved, and they had a church going there in Iran, and she got blown up, died, God brought her back to life, and she was on fire for Jesus. And, and when she came here to speak, she, she fully submit. she just goes, I just submit to you as a senior pastor here, I don't want to do anything that you don't want me to do, I don't want to say anything that you don't want me to do, and, and, you know, and God honors that. Um, great men, and, and, uh, well, great women have um, shared with large groups at conferences, you know, like uh, Corey Temboon, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, but in complete submission to the senior pastor. That's okay. But, but women are not to be pastors. Now, in verse 13, he takes this order all the way back to the garden and shows us that it it all began in the garden. This isn't like something new. This happened in the garden. So he says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. So Adam was first so he shows us that in the garden he already put an order down Adam was there first Eve came along second Um, if you guys remember that God created everything in six days and on the seventh day him and Adam relaxed and enjoyed the fruits of God's labor right and they hung out together. It was just them for a while. But then God gives Adam an object lesson, right? He says, Adam, name all the animals. And so Adam's like, okay. And then all the ad- Can you imagine how long that took, all the animals and all the little creatures and centipedes? you know, I mean, everything just coming through. And he's like, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Tiger, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lion, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, Mr. and Mrs. Lamb. And all of a sudden he's realizing there's a Mr. and Mrs., but there's no Mrs. Adams for the Adams family. So God put him in a deep sleep and brought him a wife. I, I wish for a lot of you single guys that God would put you in a deep sleep <laughs> until he brings you a wife. And then he, while he was asleep, he took Eve from Adam's side. Didn't take him, didn't take her from his head so she could rule over him, because the Bible says her tendency is going to want to rule over the family, rule over him. It's not to be so. He didn't take her from Adam's feet so Adam could walk all over her. He was to be, she was to be his helpmate, but took her from his side. Now, a lot of times I hear women say, "My husband is so insensitive. It's just he, he has no feelings. He's abrasive." Oh, nobody said amen. Good. It's not you guys. But a common thing with women is, is, is a man's lack of feelings. And I try to explain to them. There's a reason for that. Men and women are different. You can't expect a man to respond like you want him to, ladies, because he's a man and we can't expect you to respond the way we want you to because you're a woman. We've got to try to understand each other. Listen, when Adam was in the garden and God put him in a deep sleep, God took out of Adam, listen to me carefully, everything that woman was and put it in Eve. It wasn't in Adam anymore. It was now put in Eve. Everything in Eve was in Adam and God took it out of Adam and put it in Eve. And Adam must have woke up like, "Whoa, what'd you do to me? I feel like conquering and building things. I feel, I feel, I feel. That's it. I don't feel anything. Where did my feelings go? Oh, to her. She got my feelings. Am I helping, ladies? So here's the great thing. So, when a man and woman come together in holy matrimony, the two now become one. They complete each other. You complete me. Right? That's what took place in the garden. Now, Adam came first, and God gave him the authority over creation, but with authority, with great authority comes great responsibility, right? And with that responsibility, Adam was in charge according to God's order. Eve comes along, okay? So we see that women tend to be more um, sensitive and spiritual, Seeking spiritual things than men. Men are more stable, but thick-headed. Amen? Amen. Now, if you notice in the garden, Satan goes after Eve. And he, he, he appeals to her spirituality. He doesn't say, hey... Eve, I got some porn you want to watch? Eve, I got some drugs you want to get high? Eve, you want to go mess around in the bushes? Because she would have said, No, no way, get away from me, dirtbag. No, he doesn't say that. You know what he says? He says, Eve, you want to be more godly? Right? Because they have this conversation, and Satan enters into this serpent this beautiful shining one that was upright at the time. They walked. And approaches Eve and and says, has God said? And she says, oh, um, we can eat of any tree except for that one over there. We can't eat it. We can't touch it. And he's like, has God said? You know, it's funny because God said you just couldn't eat from it. That's what he told Adam. He said, Adam, out of all the trees in the garden, you can eat from any tree except for the one in the midst of the garden. And Adam said, where's that one? And God said, it's over there. Don't touch. No, he didn't say don't touch. He said, don't eat. Eve added, don't touch. She added to the word. Or maybe she didn't know. Maybe her and Adam were having a conversation, and it was his responsibility to tell her. And Adam said, hey, we can eat of any tree except that one in the midst. And she said, where's that one? And he said, it's right over there. So we can't eat from it, huh? Can, can we like, Can we touch it? Can we stand by it? No, don't eat it. Don't look at it. Don't touch it. I mean, you could just see someone saying something like that, right? Just stay away from it. So Satan goes after Eve because he knows she has a desire to be more spiritual than, than Adam, probably. She's more sensitive to the things of God. That's how women are. Women are kind of like, you know, they want to know, how do I worship God better? How do I love Him better? How do I, how do I you know, just be used by Him more to where guys are kind of like, not like that. And so he says, listen, if you eat from the tree, you'll be more spiritual. You'll be more You'll be like God. You will know the difference between good and evil, and you will be like God. You'll be more spiritual. That's why she ate. Crazy. My question is where was Adam in all this? Now, I want you to understand something else. Adam wasn't deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. Eve was deceived. She got tricked. She was thinking she was doing a good thing, a godly thing. I want to be more spiritual. I want to be more like Christ. Eat the fruit. Okay. And then she goes home, and she gives it to Adam, and he eats. So notice this. Check this out. Here's the order of authority. Who was the head? Who's the head? Adam. Adam. Who did God hold responsible? Mm. See, guys, when you get to heaven and you have any complaints, and God said, why did you do that? You know, you made it to heaven, but why did you do that? And he goes, well, it's that woman you gave me. It's those kids. He's not going to fall for that. He's going to blame you for the woman. He's going to blame you for your wife. He's going to blame you for the kids because you're in charge. You're not going to be able to do any of that past the buck like we saw in the garden, right? Adam, what have you done? Ah, it's that woman you gave me. Eve, what did you do? Ah, uh, the serpent. Serpent, what did you do? He's like, yeah, I'm just enjoying what I did. So here's the deal. So when Eve ate, all of creation hadn't, didn't fall. It wasn't until Adam ate. Why? Because he had the authority. God held him responsible. The crazy thing in that is that we see that Eve was deceived, but Adam knew exactly what he was doing. That means he ate willingly. Why? I mean, come on. Guys, if we were Adam, if if you or I were Adam, and you found out your wife Eve just ate... For, from that tree how would we respond whoa girl you blew it pray for you (laughs) stay over there right but Adam didn't do that can I suggest something because you know the Bible says sin entered into the first Adam but through the last Adam Jesus Christ sins were paid for and the gift of salvation was presented Can I just suggest that maybe the first Adam was being a type of the last Adam because he willingly ate from the tree because he loved her so much he didn't want to see her by herself for eternity? Maybe? Because listen, if if he... And I'm not condoning a sin. Don't go, go Pastor Steve. Don't, please. I'm not condoning a sin. What Adam did was horrific, okay? But maybe, maybe he said, you know what? I'm going to join her because I love her so much. Because if I join her, then there's a chance for offspring and for a redeemer to come to pay for our sins so she could be saved. That quite possibly, if he didn't follow her, that she never could have been saved because no offspring would come and no redeemer would die at the cross for us. I'm just saying. I'm not making it doctrine, okay? I'm just saying. Do you think that maybe he loved her that much that he would die for her spiritually? Because there was another one, the last Adam, that loved you so much that he gave his life on the cross for you. Paul's point here is men and women are equally gullible and can be equally deceived. But in this case, Adam went into this with his eyes wide open. He knew exactly what he had done. And in verse 15, it says, Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith Love, holiness with self-control. So, this portion of Scripture and other areas in the Bible like it, Paul's writings, is that a woman, listen to me carefully, her primary ministry of a woman is her family and her children. It's not a lesser ministry. I actually think it's a greater ministry. I always thought having five kids, it was easier for me to go to work than to stay home and take care of the kids. Matter of fact, when my kids started having grandkids and the first time they felt safe enough to leave them with me, I was 20 minutes into it and I was like, I called my wife. I said, I don't know how we did it. She goes, we didn't, I did Now you might say here, well I'm a businesswoman. That's okay, and I know with inflation and everything a lot of women work, that's okay, I get it, I understand that you have to, but here's the thing. Don't let your work or the business you run get in the way of raising your children. Because God has given you an awesome responsibility to pour into these little kids. And if you start neglecting your children and they start paying the cost for your success, for your business. Then you might want to change your route. I I know a dear lady in this church who had a great job, great money. Easy money. I mean, it was it was a perfect job for her but she felt like she was neglecting her son and she left that easy job better money and took a lesser job because she knew the importance of raising her son and being there for him and that's honorable kids grow up quick enough you can once they're they're out of the house you can go full speed but and there's nothing wrong with a woman working don't get that don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with you. You know, a lot of successful women out there. But don't do it to a point where you neglect what the greatest ministry that God's given you, the family and your children. Let me, let me read you something about in Titus uh, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonished the young men, and, that they admonished the young women, to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now you might be here today saying, "Listen, you know what? I'm offended by that." Because I'm honoring my husband, but he's a jerk. You just keep honoring him and God will bless you. I hear from men a lot of times, I'm not loving my wife because she doesn't respect me. Isn't that funny that he tells husbands to love their wives, but he tells the wives just to respect their husband because husbands need respect. They, they, they want to know that when they're working all day and they're bringing home the, you know, the pay for the bills and stuff like that, that you're like, you're, you respect that. You know, they, they just they just need that. That's what they need. I'm trying to help you out. Just say, honey, man, I, I'm so thankful that you work and, and bring home the money to pay the bills. I, I'm so grateful for your hard work and your labor, your sacrifice. And then you know what he's going to do? He goes, man, I love you. And I'm going to love you like Christ loves the church. And she's just going to respect him even more. And he's going to love her even more. But when a husband doesn't love his wife, the wife stops respecting him. He's not loving her. She's not respecting him. And they're wondering why it all blew up. It's because they forgot the order. They forgot what God told them to do. So, husbands, you love your wife regardless if she respects you because it's the right thing to do. And, wives, you respect your husband regardless that he's loving you the way Christ loved the church and, and watch God bless you. Amen? Now, where it says um, that this, that, Eve, speaking of Eve and talking about Eve transgressing, was deceived. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in the faith, love, and, and holiness with self-control. Um, it's, it's, not saying that, it's not saying that women are saved through having babies. It's not saying that. It's not saying that unless you have a baby, you're not going to be saved. It's not saying that. It's not saying that all women are going to have babies. We know that there are are women in the Bible that did not have children. God used them mightily. It's not saying that. So what is it saying? It's just saying that a woman's greatest ministry is the family, the kids, childbearing, Training them up in the ways of the Lord, so when they're older, they will not depart. That is, to me, one of the most amazing ministries that there is. For a woman to be part of. So much so that I think it's actually a harder job. I do. Because, you know, as a pastor, I receive people in ministry and they're a mess they're all messed up by the world they've been run through the ringer by the world and they got all this baggage and all this stuff and and that's what i get to work with and, and and with a with a mom you get this fresh hot out of the oven little baby that's a clean slate got no baggage and and you get to pour into that little child from the start And that's the way God designed it. Because you know what? When, when children are little, they really do want mom. Why? Because mom, moms are different. Moms will get up in the middle of the night. My kids were sick. They'd come to our bed. Mom, I'm not feeling good. I'm like, go get some NyQuil and go to bed. My wife would get up. I know I'm not the best Dad. But there's, women have a, a special touch that men don't have. Last thing in clo- clo- closing. Um, I look at this verse and it's interesting because in the Greek, it sort of implies this. Nevertheless, she will be saved in the childbearing. What does that mean? Is this a a pointing to the Messiah being born through a woman? Is it saying, though, even though Eve was deceived because of her transgression, that now she would bear sorrow and pain in childbirth, that through that childbirth she would bring forth the Messiah? in which we would all be able to give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and have eternal life? Is that what it's saying? It could be. And I thought that was interesting, too, because it says she will be saved in childbearing, in the childbearing, if they, almost implying men and women, continue in the faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Here's my point. See where it says, nevertheless, she I'm a bride. Oh, that didn't go over well. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we're called the what? Bride of Christ. Now that's really easy for you girls, because you're kind of like, yeah. You're thinking the bridal gown, you're thinking Jesus, yeah, he's my bridegroom, he's my man, he's my savior, my king. And I get that. You're women. That's it seems really cool, but the idea of me being a bride's a little weird. I mean, because I, I look at you guys and I just think of you guys in like bridal gowns, and I'm like, well, that just doesn't work. So it's 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 a little weird for a guy to go, I'm a bride. But that's what we are. Did you know Israel is the wife of the father? We are the bride of Christ. So it makes us different. And you know what's cool about that is like the passion is a lot hotter between an engaged couple than a couple that's been married for a long time. Right. Right. So Israel is married to the father, but we're looked at as the bride of Christ. Hot and full of passion for the Lord. Isn't that cool? I think that's cool. So let's look at that verse again in this way. Nevertheless, she, I'm the bride. She, the bride of Christ, was saved in childbearing, being born again, and will continue in faith, love, holiness, self-control, which is the evidence of a transformed life. Maybe it's saying that too. But I want to just say to you as we close is that God has an order in the church, and we'll get into that a little more next week. He has an order in the family, And if we keep the order, we're going to prosper. But if we try to usurp authority and try to step over what the word of God said, it's not going to pan out well. Does that make sense? So let's keep the order of God because your position that God has given you, the calling that you have is just as important as mine, and we're called to finish and to finish well. Amen?